So this week we continue our series we've titled Feeling Autumnal. In this series, we're looking at seeking to recognize how different elements and activities that take place in the fall, that take place in the autumn, relate to the walk of faith. Last week, we looked at the corn maze and how, though we're only saved through one faith, faith in Jesus Christ, the journey that that walk of faith takes us on isn't carved in stone, but often presents itself to us as a series of choices, different paths that we can take. Earlier, we looked at pumpkin picking and recognized how God has cleaned up our rot, given us his image, and set us on his porch for the world to see that others might come to the knowledge of the truth. And in coming weeks, we'll look at Thanksgiving and the changing of the colors of the leaves. But this week, this is the week I could get in trouble. For this week, we're going to spend some time talking about the bad boy on the block. This week, we'll be taking a look at Halloween. How can Halloween relate to the walk of faith? It does, and we're going to get there. But before we do, let's talk about this holiday just a little bit. I recognize that some elements of the holiday are very bothersome. The fascination with demons, death, witches, and ghouls is off-putting and disturbing. My family and I took a walk around Cooper's Pond here in Bergenfield the other day, and the decorations were, in my opinion, a bit over the top. I hope they go that far with Christmas decorations this year, and I don't just mean Santa. If we're going to have ghouls swinging from the trees on Halloween, I would like to see a nativity when December rolls around. That said, I do not believe that letting your kids wear costumes, cutting up pumpkins, or going out and collecting candy is celebrating any of the troublesome things that take place on Halloween. A person isn't worshiping the enemy when they go out and collect candy, and you're not supporting devil worship by giving out candy. It's just, it's just not real. Would we make the argument that giving presents on Christmas is worshiping Jesus? Of course we wouldn't. Even though we give presents to celebrate and remember the gift that he is to us, in the same way, dressing up and giving out or receiving candy isn't celebrating the devil or his followers. This is actually a great time for us to reach out to our community. How many times do they show up on our door asking us for things? Instead of being the stingy house, let us give in abundance. Let's love our neighbors by giving to them generously instead of looking to shame them for dressing up and actively trying to get cavities. We may not love the decorations or all the costumes, but we can love the people. Those costumes can be a bit much, can't they? That's what we're going to take a look at today as we see how Halloween relates to the walk of faith. Our text this morning is the very beginning of the Bible. We'll be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn there now. If you don't have your Bibles with you but prefer the comfort of of tangible paper and binding in your hands, there should be a Bible on the back of the pew in front of you. However, if you prefer, the words will be on the screens beside me. To set the scene for our text, God has just created the whole earth. Land, sea, sky, space, animals on the land, fish in the sea, birds in the air, and now he is about to spend some time on the piece of creation that is most important to him. And that's what we'll be taking a look at this morning. Again, the text is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And if you are able, would you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning? Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Matt Reinitz, the pastor at our church in Seattle. He was telling me about the doctoral program he is going through and how its primary focus was on tattoos. So naturally, this piqued my interest, particularly something Matt's doctor father, the man who was overseeing Matt's research for his doctorate, had to say about them. The doctor father, and what a fantastic term, if I might just put that in there. I, I love that, that term. But the doctor father said this, Tattoos are the stained glass windows of the heart. In churches, particularly older churches, we put up stained glass windows, and they are beautiful. But they also tell a story, often a story from the Bible. We have stained glass windows in the back of our own sanctuary, and by them you will know that we value the Word of God and that we are a Lutheran church. And so the doctor's observance was that people will put their stories on their body in the art of tattooing. You can tell what is important to a person, how they view themselves by what they put on their skin. I have a tattoo of the Norwegian flag on my arm to show that I have Scandinavian blood running through my veins. I have a phoenix that Karen and I both got in memory of our stillborn daughter. And I have the initials of the three guys I graduated seminary with on my bicep. We're not family by blood, but brothers nonetheless. Tattoos tell us something about who a person is and how they see themselves, even if, to us from the outside, that tattoo has no discernible meaning. In a general sense, the same is true for costumes at Halloween. As a kid, I used to dread the question of what I would wear or what I would be for Halloween. I wanted it to be something that I liked. But almost more importantly, I wanted it to be cool enough that other people would like it. My Halloween costumes told people a bit about me, about who I am. Though I'm the oldest of eight kids and we lived out in the country, mom and dad were not rushing to the store so that us kids could pick out a new costume each year. No, instead, we had a trunk full of dress-up clothes, and from this, we would devise what attire we would be wearing around town to collect candy. And I wasn't always thrilled with that because it didn't really let me express myself. You can get some extravagant costumes these days. Some of them are crazy realistic. Some of them are pretty over the top. But whichever costume you wear tells people a little bit about who we are, or more specifically, who we wish we were. Costumes in their own way, are a window to the heart. That doesn't mean that every little kid in a vampire or witch costume wants to suck blood or cast spells. It could, however, mean that instead of being afraid, they'd like to be the ones doing the scaring. There are so many costumes out there, so many opportunities to leave behind who we are and be for a time who we wish we could be. Spider-Man, Batman, the Mandalorian, Snow White, Pikachu, Barbie, a pirate, a dinosaur, a character from your favorite video game, an athlete, a plant, an animal, something scary, something nice, something popular, something hipster. There's so many different costumes and so many different costume ideas. 
And they may not be permanent like a tattoo is, but in some ways that makes them an even clearer picture of the heart because it's something you can put on display for a little while and then, and then hide again. At Halloween, we have the chance to be who we wish we were. Stronger, bolder, fiercer, louder, quieter, braver, skinnier, prettier, more handsome, cooler, more important. And we like that because we don't always like who we are, do we? Have any of us wished we were more like somebody else? Have we seen what someone else does well and wished we could do it as well as they do? Maybe it's singing or playing an instrument. Maybe it's hitting or catching a ball. Maybe it's how fast someone runs. Maybe it's the cut of their jaw and how their hair has body curls or is straight. Maybe we just wish we still had hair. Maybe it's the way someone talks. Maybe it's the way that they write. Maybe it's how they don't seem to be afraid in public spaces. Maybe it's how they're able to relax and enjoy themselves and we have a hard time turning our brains off. Maybe their body isn't falling apart in the ways that ours are. Maybe they don't need glasses. Maybe they're tall. Maybe they aren't too tall. I don't know what it is, you know, I, I don't know who it is, but each of us is jealous of some of the skills, abilities, and the features that someone else possesses. And in our recognition of what they have and our perception of what we do not, do we sometimes slip into envy? Do we sometimes slip into jealousy? Are we sometimes frustrated by the way that God made us, the gifts that he chose to give us and wish that he had given us what someone else has? Maybe we're not so fixated on what others have and we're paying more attention to what makes us uncomfortable about ourselves. Maybe we don't like our shape. Maybe we don't like how thick or thin, curly or straight our hair is. Maybe we don't like the sound of our voice or the way that we laugh. Do you ever wish that we could just be somebody else? Even just for a day, do you ever wish that we weren't who we are but that it could be like Halloween and we could just put on a costume and and be what we'd actually like to be just for the night. The candy's cool, but really, do we just wish that we were somebody else, somebody that's not us? As a kid, I wanted to be taller. Hated that I was short, wished for the world that I would be taller, taller like Mark. Mark was the tallest kid in eighth grade. Wasn't very coordinated since he had grown so fast, so quickly, but he always got picked for basketball, the coolest sport to play at at Birch Hills High School. He didn't get picked on. He, he didn't have to deal with so many of the struggles that I had to deal with. He was tall. And man, I wanted to be tall so, so badly. Size, my size was a deep insecurity for me. My lack of height was really hard for me. Every night in eighth grade, every night I would pray, God, make me taller. Didn't seem like a big ask at the time. This is the creator of the universe. Look at all that his hands have made. It, it didn't seem to me that making me grow, making me a little taller, should be such a big deal. And you know, I had the answer to my frustrations, my insecurities right there. I just missed it. I was acknowledging the creator of the universe. I was acknowledging that he had the power to create everything. I was acknowledging that everything that he had made was good that he loved everything he had made, and then I was criticizing God for how he made me. 
I was confessing the greatness of God with my lips while I questioned his choices in my heart. And I know that I'm not alone in this sin. That I'm not the only one who looked to the heavens and asked, why have you made me like this? It's the question we see in one of the harder passages in Scripture, Romans chapter 9, verses 20 to 21, which reads, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make, some, to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? It's not a fun passage. We're the clay here. God is the potter. And while we can go back and forth on what special purposes and, and common use are, what the text is really talking about, what Paul is really writing about, is how we have a hard time with how God has made us. We have a hard time with the circumstances that God has allowed to take place in our lives. That sometimes we aren't excited about who we are and what has happened to us. And that's understandable. It's not fun to be short. It's not fun to be too tall. It's not fun to have a chromosomal imbalance. It's not fun to have diabetes. It's not fun to have a lisp. It's not fun to start balding. It's not fun to be, able to un to be unable to grow a beard. It's not fun to be born into a dysfunctional family. The list goes on and on, and, and we get it, right? Some things are just really not fun, and so why didn't God do something different? And while the hurt and the struggle and the frustration is understandable, I would encourage us to look at the text. God is the potter. We are the clay. He is the one that formed us. That is Paul's central point. And then we take that and we put it beside our text this morning, Genesis 1, 26, 27, where again we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Church, what fantastic news for us. We may not like who we are, but God does. For he created us in his own image. Again, we are the clay, he is the potter, and he has formed us and shaped us. We may not like the product that is emerging, but God does. Man and woman, in the image of God, he created them, our text tells us. Man doesn't bear God's image more than women do. This text does not infer that God is confused about his gender, for they were created as image bearers first, and then gender was given. What the text does make very clear is that one gender is not more important to him than another. For again, both genders are image bearers of the God that created them. So though there may be different responsibilities assigned to each gender for the sake of order, order itself has nothing to do with how God views importance. He cares for us equally. We are both image bearers of Christ. He loves us equally. And the same thing goes for race. It doesn't matter if your ancestry is from South America, Africa, Scandinavia, Europe, North America, Asia, wherever. It doesn't matter what blood runs through your veins. You are an image bearer of God. And he has made you, shaped you, formed you. His love for you is so great. 
For you were formed in the image of the living God. He has given you, he has given you his image. When parents have children, we sit around and try to find the familial traits in the babies, don't we? He's got his mother's eyes. She's got her daddy's smile. That looks like Grandpa Reuben's chin. He's, he's got this side of the family's ears. She's got that side of the family's dimples. We love to see ourselves and our ancestry and our children, and we don't have any power over the traits that they get. That's all genetics, and it's decided in an instance that we have no influence on outside of timing. If we fuss over our own children like that, how much more does God fuss over us? The most precious of his creation. He has given us his image. It wasn't random. It wasn't happenstance, and the timing was perfect, for it was his timing. He has made us the way that we are, whether we are happy with it or not, is an us problem. Because God couldn't be more thrilled with who he has made you to be. He loves us so much, is so thrilled with us, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were dead because of the envy in our hearts and the anger that we had at who we are, he sent his son to die for us. Our frustration with him did not stop him from loving us. Again, he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to us. And though Jesus came and loved us perfectly, taught us perfectly, we still were mad at him because he was what we were not. And so he was betrayed and sentenced to death, a death that he did not earn. But as he walked up to the hill to Calvary with the cross upon his shoulders, he carried not just the lumber but the sins of the world. Every time we've been envious, every time we've met, been mad at him for who he made us, every time we've wanted to be somebody else, every time we've accused God of making a mistake, every time we've idolized someone else's gifts, every time we've fallen, every time we've slipped, every time we have fallen short, Jesus took all of it. The Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us on the cross, and there on the cross Jesus died for every sin we have ever committed, paying the price that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we are saved. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we live in the fruits of forgiveness. Through faith, we are declared children of God and co-heirs with Christ. All of this through faith, what a blessing to us, what a promise that we can rest in. My sophomore year, I made the decision to homeschool. Didn't work out so well for me. And so my junior year, I attended a boarding school, Hillcrest, Hillcrest Lutheran Academy in Minnesota. The summer of my junior year, I was home and walking the streets of Birch Hills, and I happened to run into Mark, the tallest kid in eighth grade. Eighth grade is when Mark stopped growing. The young man who had laughed at me when I told him I hoped to one day be as tall as my dad was now a few inches shorter than I was at the time. Church, we do not know what our journey will be like. We don't know what our neighbor's journey will be like. We may look at someone else and wish we had the skills and abilities that they have, but we are completely unaware of what their road holds for them. If Mark had known that the shortest kid in eighth grade would be taller than him in three years, how would that have affected the way that he conducted himself? How would it have affected the way that I conducted myself? As tempting as it is to desire to be someone else, to wish we had someone else's gifts, as tempting as it is to desire to put on a costume, 
a mask and be something we aren't so that those around us might accept us or so that we might like who we are more. Let us instead rest in who God has made us to be. And this week, as we see people running around in costumes, some we may find funny, some we may find adorable, some we may find offensive. May that give us some deeper insight into our community. May it help us know how to minister to them. And may it help inform how we pray for them. And ultimately, let us rest in the knowledge, the affirmation that we have been given the image of God. That God knows who we are completely. He knows our insecurities. He knows our sins. He knows our struggles. He knows our strengths. He knows our hearts. He knows us fully. And he loves us. Our God has formed us intentionally. And he has given us his image. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, powerful, intentional, and loving God we serve. Amen.